is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The rain continues to tumble down in central Australia. We'll be crossing to a very swollen Todd River in just a moment and you'll also be hearing from truckies being turned around as roads turn to rivers. We all came back to town and unloaded the perishables. I had one trailer of perishables on, which uh, the mine were getting fairly desperate for, so they had to come back to town and go back into storage. And, yeah, and basically since then we've uh, been just doing maintenance and you know, waiting for something to happen with this weather. Also today, how much will it cost to rehabilitate the Ranger uranium mine near Jabiru? Early estimates by ERA appear to be way off. The updated price tag and timeline has been released today. I'll be sharing those details with you in the second half. Another big country hour. I hope you can stick around. We are broadcasting right across the territory on the ABC. And g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Now let's start our program this afternoon by going straight to the banks of the mighty Todd River. Our reporter Hugo Rickard-Bell is there this afternoon. What can you see, Hugo? Oh, Matt, you know, I would love to uh, talk to you about the flow of the Todd right now, but this is my fourth time crossing to you, which means I'm a local, so I might be asking some advice on property management. But if I could tell you what I can see, I'll tell you what I can't see. I can't see the, the ranges in the background through the trees. It's too misty. I'm turning around, I'm looking towards Anzac Hill. Can't see that either. It's just a shape in the mist. It really is uh, uh, just a, a different looking Alice Springs at the moment. But I can tell you one thing for sure, as I'm sure you can hear in the background, the Todd is well and truly flowing but what's nice about this is i think last time we spoke we had a commodore wrapped around a tree and that's the, right and that was after a couple of big dumpings straight into the uh straight in straight on top of alice springs uh whereas this has been quite a consistent rain over the last couple of days and so it's got a a gentler feeling to it a more of a solid consistent flow to it it doesn't feel like it's it's, you're going to see the tail end of it whip under the bridge in, in five seconds as a big rush of water comes through. Uh, you know, as per usual, this is a huge moment for Alice Springs. We've got the locals down. They're all taking pictures, and we've got some kids, uh, you know, standing in the shallows with their rain jackets on. It's, it truly is a, a beautiful sight to see. I mean, Matt, th- this rain has been a really interesting event for Central Australia because of the consistency it hasn't just been one or two massive dumpings. It's been quite a consistent rain over the last, you know, almost four or five days now. Uh, it hasn't all been good news, you know. We've seen some of the roads get severely damaged. I know we're hearing about that a little bit later in the country hour, uh, and that's causing some supply troubles. But who's really benefiting right now are the pastoralists. And, I mean, you know, we've got reports from Andulia Station, over 100 mils, uh, and still going. You know, uh, Ringwood, they saw 140 mils. Last week, Devoice, 150. You know, we're just numbers that I, I think some people never thought they'd see again. It's just been, it's been really positive. Uh, one thing, one, one person in particular, Matt, though, who is uh, particularly happy is... 
Patty Weir from Alambi Station. Now, take in mind, she's going to tell the story for me, but in 2019, she only copped 20 mils for the year. Take a listen. So last night at um, 7 o'clock, we just had a really heavy shower. We actually sat on the front veranda and, and watched it because it was just like a tropical downpour, and we had 80 millimetres in that one hour, um, and then um, during the night, it just kept raining. <laughs> it just didn't stop, and so we've actually had um, since half past three yesterday afternoon, 194 millimetres here, which is the biggest rain event I ever remember in 24 hours, and I've been here about 25 years. Where where are you standing now? What what does the country look like? The country is magnificent because for three weeks now we've had just humid weather 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's been quite unusual. Again, I don't remember an event that long, you know, where it's just humid day in and day out. So eventually it started raining here on the 17th of January and we had about three days of rain then. And then at the end of the January, um, it came back in again. So, yeah, it's just so green. And at night time, you can hear all the frogs um, croaking and, oh, yeah, wow. it's very tropical, yeah. How's the season or the or the summer rain season gone for you so far? You've had this one big dumping, but overall, how are we looking? So, yeah, look, fantastic. I, I just collated all our January figures and put them into bomb um, yesterday. And so Alambi had already had 127 mils to the end of January. And now we've had this extra rain. So we're up to 321 mils so far for the year when our average is 250. Oh, wow. Yeah. With news like that, one can only assume the cattle must be looking pretty magnificent as well. The cattle were magnificent um, before this happened because we had a fantastic rain in November last year. Obviously, the country had dried off, but there was still plenty of feed here. Um, But it's just, you know, really freshened up and gone ahead, which is fantastic because, of course, you do get a bit nervous about bushfires in summertime. So, um, look, yeah, we're just feeling really chuffed. Um, Paddy, what are you looking forward to coming into 2022 now that you've had quite a quite a nice little wet season? Look, um, it's just so exciting. It's, you know, you just don't know when it's going to dry out, but, you know, who cares? Like, it's just fantastic. We always, we're always thrilled when we get rain here, but we have had a little taste of the tropics. I don't think I've ever retired there. <laughs> that is Paddy Weir at Alambi Station, which is to the southeast of Alice Springs. And she's never seen rain like it in her 25 years at that cattle station. Some unbelievable rain was seen in parts of central Australia and the Barclay. Nearby at Undulia Station, 125 millimetres recorded up to 9 o'clock this morning. Deepwell is reporting 106 millimetres. There's been 86 millimetres recorded at the airport there at Alice Springs. And here at the Country Hour, we've just been made aware that the Stuart Highway 
is now closed just south of the Alice Springs Airport due to water over the road. So that's just come through via NT Police. Road closure, the Stewart Highway, just south of the Alice Springs Airport. It's all happening. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper and I'm in here at Darwin Port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Greyman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. It's a wet, wet, wet Wednesday. I trust you are well. Just repeating that big news about the Stewart Highway. It's closed near Hat Road, just south of Alice Springs there. I'm sure there'll be updates throughout the afternoon regarding that. And the Stewart Highway is not alone. The Sandover remains closed between El Kedra and the Queensland border. The Plenty Highway is closed from the end of the seal to the Queensland border. The Barclay Highway still has water over the road. Motorists are advised to drive with caution. And there's only access for high-clearance four-wheel drives near Sedan Station. Now, Bruce Staines, his trucking company delivers goods and services to communities around the Territory, including the Greenwich Gold Mine, which is about 400 kilometres up the Tenamai Road. Now, the Tenamai is closed at the moment. So his team haven't been able to deliver anything to that mine since around Saturday. Hugo Ricobell caught up with Bruce to get an update on the situation. Four trucks left Alice Springs heading for the mine at uh, Newmont Mine at, on the Tanami. And um, the two early trucks were stopped at Yundamu because there was a returning empty coming back from the mine and... Uh, was supposedly bogged. We're not sure whether it bogged or lost traction <clears throat> with the wet running surface. But uh, anyway, we and then myself and another truck, we got to Tillmouth Well and, and we advised to turn around from there. So we, we all came back to town and unloaded the perishables. I had one trailer of perishables on, which uh, the, the mine were getting fairly desperate for. So that had to come back to town and go back into storage. And yeah, and basically since then, we've uh, been just doing maintenance and general duties because, uh, you know, waiting for something to happen with this weather. So uh, I think uh, our own record, the records at uh, home are showing about 120 mil for the five days and it's been a beautiful rain, a steady soaking rain. Todd's run a little bit, but uh, basically we're just waiting on uh, on some action from people to find out what, uh, what they think. And so what have you been told so far from Granite's Mine? I uh, haven't heard anything from the mine. Um, of course, we uh, we subject to uh, toll transport, but uh, tolls uh, been advised uh, to prioritise some of the loads when they when we eventually move and go again. How long does it look like uh, you might be out? Uh, it could be uh, as late as the end of this week, Hugo. Where it's uh, like I say, we, it, because of the the type of weather, the thunderstorm weather, it's really hard to know whether where the rain's been, but certainly there's been good rain and I had a, uh, a phone call this morning, uh, Coyote Mine, just over the border of WA, uh, had 120 millimetres last night in one hit, so there's some heavy rain around. Bruce, you probably know the Tanami Road almost better than anyone. What was the condition like when you went out and had a look? Uh, it was it was okay. Um, we were getting those couple of day windows where you just had to get out and get back, you know, and, and if you're lucky enough, you you, you made it before it rained, so we we had a fairly good run out actually. We that was on the uh, 
the Thursday before, and uh, and we went out and back in two days and, and got our job done and, and it was okay. And then somebody was four hours behind us coming back and empty and he ran into a lot of rain and that's when it sort of started. So so that was last um, Saturday week ago. Uh, we, we were on our way back. Um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's real hit and miss, mate. It, it's, um, you know, the storms are just weird. They can be all around you and not on you and then sometimes they'll be on you and not around you. What is it actually like when you are driving a truck down a road like that and you do get that sort of rain? Uh, well, you can be lucky and uh, and, and keep moving. Uh, if, you, if you're loaded, you might have some dramas, but we normally uh, run out of traction if, we, if we're loaded and if the, the road gets slippery and it's actually wet, um, then you suddenly you lose traction. And other times you've just got to sit there and, and sit in the middle of the road and and just keep moving slowly and hope you're going to make it right. But it's been it's extremely rough at the moment. But um, the graders haven't been on. The, the last grade was just prior to Christmas, and uh, the new contract is starting and it hasn't uh, hasn't arrived on site yet. So the road is really bad. The, the traffic numbers are way up again, um, especially if we get a bit of rain. Then we get all the backloading. There's going to be a lot of traffic on that road, but. That's the biggest problem now is that the running surface is really rough in places and really low in places, and that's the real drama because now the water runs onto the road instead of off the road. Once this rain does clear and the road dries up a bit, Bruce, um, what will, in terms of backloading, what will this mean for Staines Transport? Oh, it means that everybody's going to be flat out, um, even with communities. Uh, you know, we're going to have... Uh, we haven't been able to do too many deliveries this week, or none actually. I think we went north. Um, so yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a real backlog, uh, and of course suppliers uh, haven't got food either, or haven't got items to, to, to move anyway. So it's going to change the whole thing. When it, once the rail gets going and the South Australian side of it comes good, it'll it'll really uh, will be flat out. I think. That's Bruce Staines of Staines Transport speaking there to Hugo Rickard Bell. Roads are closed. Trucks are getting turned around. It's extremely wet across many parts of Central Australia. I got a text from Alex, who lives in Alice Springs, and he says, Matt, the Stewart Highway closed near Hat Road suggests the flooding is caused by Row Creek, which in turn implies there is no traffic access to Pine Gap from Alice Springs. I'll take your word on that, Alex. Our text number zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. Someone else here says, if anyone was ever wondering how desert features like Uluru, the Olgas or Chambers Pillar were created, well, here's your answer. I still can't believe a Lambie station. What did Paddy tell us? 194 millimetres in a 24-hour period. Biggest weather event she has seen on that station in 25 years. Unbelievable. It's wet in the centre. It's been pouring down out in the Barclay. There are still a few spots in the Northern Territory, though, which would love some more rain. I'll take you to the Nipmaluk National Park next. Catherine Britt, 46 miles from Alice, right across the territory on the ABC. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Our text number zero four eight seven double nine one zero five seven. I've got a little bit of intel here that says Pine Gap workers were turned around this morning 
and sent home as they can't get there with all this rain around the Alice. We heard earlier from Alex suggesting that Row Creek is in flood, which means no traffic access to Pine Gap from Alice Springs. And NT Police are advising motorists that the Stewart Highway is now closed just south of Alice, where it continues to rain. Yo, country. Hello, my name is Otto Campion. Pulmania, they call me from Bushnep. I'm a Arifia swamp ranger. I'm working um, with many countrymen. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Okay, so for most of the Northern Territory, it has been an average to above average wet season. But there's still a few areas that are in need of some more rain. Andrew McPhee is the Senior District Ranger at the Nipmaluk National Park near Catherine. And he says the wet season so far has been a bit disappointing at Nipmaluk. It's interesting that our biggest uh, rain events for December and January were on the back of um, a tropical low that had to go nearby. Outside of that, we haven't had yeah the best consistent rainfall. Just looking at the records for January, uh, we've only had 12 days of rain here at the gorge all month. Um, but if we didn't have the last tropical low that went um, past us, which gave us 125 mil in one day, um, the rest of the month would have been well under average. So we may just hit average for January. We're close to average for December and October, November have been woeful. So we are we are quite a number of hundreds of mils behind where we would like to be this time of year, but you get where you get. <laughs> what does that mean for the park at the moment? How, how does it look to you? Because uh, we've had a couple of reasonable months, it's certainly looking greener. And um, those big hits of solid rain in a day really boost everything up, like your waterfalls start cranking again and things like that. Um, Catherine River for us is an in, always an interesting indicator on what's happening throughout the park because the river flows through most of the length of the park on the eastern side of the park. It is, and a lot of um, creeks and rivers and, and gullies, everything feeds into it. The river height here is really much, a very much an indicator on how things are going upstream. So at the moment, we are only. Um, only about one and a half metres above dry season, believe it or not. So we're not that high. You know, the river height's not that high at the moment. We've had some good heights. We've had Maud Creek back down the road go under. You know, we had three metres over the bridge there um, early in the month. That was great, but it didn't last very long. So when everything rises quickly after these little hits of rain that we've been getting and then fall quickly, that's telling you deep down that things are still hurting. You know, as green as it looks and as dribbly as everything is and the waterfall's sort of going, deep down, we need a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, so I always use the Catherine River as my health monitor, my water monitor. (laughs) What are the the wettest months usually here at the park? Um, Your big three are December, January, February, but your big two are certainly um, December, January, and um, February, yeah, we'll, we'll start tapering off a little bit, but we'd still expect 250 mil on a normal month there. Um, we, we'd usually like around 350 for January and similar for December, and we certainly haven't reached those yet. On, well, we didn't reach them on those last two months, so 
Um, there's still, yeah, we'd like a lot more. Our, our average here for Catherine Gorge, our rain gauge here, is around, we call an average wet about 1,300 mil total. What's the tally up to for this season so far? Um, so uh, October we did get some rain, so I'll, I'll, I like to bring that in under the umbrella of the wet. So at this stage we've got 715 mil of rain for the wet season at Catherine Gorge Ranger Station. So just after half what you'd hope for for the entire wet season? Pretty much, with uh, probably only two months of almost assured rainfall of some kind to go. So there's a fair bit of expectation in the next two months. <laughs> How do you start to think about the year ahead when you're, you're getting these numbers? Um, obviously, yeah, we've still got a couple of months to go. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think we'll make an average wet this year unless we have a massive tropical low that comes out of nowhere and sits over the gorge for a couple of days and gives us 600 mil of rain. But uh, what will happen in the year ahead, sadly, is that uh, waterfalls will dry up quite quickly. Um, Southern Rockhole will be probably our first one to go. Northern Rockhole will be the next one to go. Um, and it, it'll have an effect on you know um, the visitor experience, which is huge. People come, wider people come to Nipmuc National Park. Water is number one, totally. You know, so when things dry out quickly, um, yeah, that expectation of you know being able to swim wherever is not there, and uh, the river will drop off, um, water quality will drop off. People going up on the Japla Trail will probably need to boil their water earlier because, you know, the water's not flowing as nicely as it should at each of the campsites for as long as it should. Um, yeah, then that rolls into fire issues. Um, you know, will we dry out quicker? Will, you know, fires get hotter quicker earlier in the early dry season? You know, yeah, as a land manager, a lot of implications to think about. And a lot of it's speculation, but you just, you do need to spend time dwelling on it and making a little adjustments along the way, you know, where you need to. There's Andrew McPhee, who's the Senior District Ranger at Nimaluk National Park, speaking there to Max Rowley and keen for some more rain there at Nimaluk. Now, on the topic of water, once a month here at the Country Hour, we like to take a look at how groundwater levels are faring in Darwin's rural area. Now, since October 1, Darwin itself has had nearly one metre of rain. So as you would expect, aquifers are on the rise. To get the latest information, I had a chat to the NT's Director of Water Assessment, Adrian Costa. Yeah, those aquifers are doing pretty well. Um, We've had a couple of uh, weather systems come across in late December and also early to mid-January. And so that sparked uh, some rises well, continue the rise uh, in the Howard groundwater system by around about five to six metres, which is pretty exciting. Um, Berry Springs um, groundwater system around about four, four and a half metres. Uh, and another uh, sort of smaller system, which is about partridge system, is almost 17 metres, which is pretty significant. But um, that is a smaller resource, so we expect those responses to come back um, a lot more quickly in that system. Are there any areas that perhaps haven't risen like you would expect? Uh, not really, no. It's been pretty good across the board, again, with those uh, weather systems coming across. Uh, Darwin, according to my numbers, had above average rainfalls in December, so that was that certainly sparked um, a fair bit of these rises. The long-range outlook for the wet season is for it to be fairly average and maybe even above average. So does that put the Darwin rural area 
on track to have all those aquifers nice and full going into a new year of irrigation? Yeah, it does, Matt. It's uh, pretty good. We look like we're about two-thirds of the way there. Um, given that these uh, aquifers tend to sort of reach their peak around mid-Feb, sometimes mid-March, uh, uh, because they are a, a fill and spill system, so they'll only recharge a certain amount, um, we're looking looking pretty good. And this week, of course, we've seen the mighty Todd River flow in Alice Springs. Have you got data on how aquifers are faring for that community? Yeah, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Uh, the Todd River, uh, we've got people out there at the moment uh, doing some gauging just to uh, verify some of our models. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, groundwater or the town basin aquifer there, uh, it has shown a steady rise since that event that we had down there in early to mid-November. Uh, it's risen about half a metre since December, but of course, with this uh, sort of recent flow, um, we're certainly keeping our eyes on it. The aquifer there for Alice Springs, when's the last time it was in this good a shape? Uh, that's a good question. Um, You'd imagine it's been a while. It has been a while, absolutely. Anything else we need to know as we head into February? Uh, not really, just that... Um, January's seen, uh, you know, apart from Darwin, but if you move to Catherine, Tennant Creek and Alice Springs, the rainfall's looking pretty good. Uh, in fact, one uh, key note to mention is the Roper River at Mataranka uh, Homestead looks pretty good. Uh, putting last year aside, it's uh, one of the highest levels since 2011, so that's pretty exciting too. And there's more rain to come. Really appreciate your time on the country out today. Adrian, thanks so much. Yeah, not a problem, Matt. Big thanks to Adrian Costa. He's a senior hydrogeologist with the Department of Environment. He's also the Territory's Director of Water Assessment. And I've since been told the Alice Springs Town Basin Bore, well, it hasn't enjoyed these types of groundwater levels since 2014. So the water situation for Alice Springs looking fantastic. Meanwhile, on the top end, I can tell you that the Darwin River Dam is today sitting at 81% capacity. This time last year, it was sitting at 62% capacity. So things looking good for many parts of the Northern Territory. Now, we've got to go to the newsroom because it is one o'clock, but then we'll be having a chat to the Weather Bureau. As always, if you've got a question for the Bureau, and I've already got one here from Val out near Elliot. Uh, if you've got a question for the Bureau, send it through now, and we'll put it straight to them. That text number's 0487 1057 There's a few text messages here, actually, so I'll get to them straight after the one o'clock news. Yeah, g'day, it's Greg Owens here. Uh, recently retired from NT Farmers, but still hoping to be a big part of our farming community in the north. And you're listening to the NT Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon on a pretty wet Wednesday. We started today's program crossing live to the banks of the Todd River. And what a sight, hey? What a sound. The mighty Todd ripping through Alice Springs. Now, in a moment, we'll be talking about the Ranger uranium mine when it stopped production early last year. It was estimated that it would cost nearly a billion dollars for the rehab work, so to clean it all up and restore it to its original health. 
Well, that estimate appears to be way, way off. An updated price tag and timeline for the rehabilitation work has been released today. I'll share the details with you in a moment. And trust me, some big, big dollars. How about that rain in Central Australia? I got one text here that says Alice Springs had 200 millimetres overnight in the Easter of 1988. It got 200 millimetres east end of Hearts Range in early 1983, which we drove all the way back to Alice Springs in. And that's when Charles and Diana arrived and they couldn't get to their accommodation at the casino, says this person. What did they do? Charles and Di, they couldn't, it was too wet in the centre. They couldn't get to their accommodation. What did they do? Probably just swagged it south of town, I'd imagine. And uh, this person, with all the great information, also tells us that Row Creek has dropped at least 1.5 metres since it peaked at about 8.30 this morning. Thank you to that Country Hour correspondent on 0487991057. One of the big stories as we go to air this afternoon is that the Stuart Highway has been closed just south of Alice Springs, so be aware of that if you're on the roads this afternoon. And Dave in Palmerston, good afternoon to you, Dave. He says, Matt, 728 millimetres so far for January, February at Rosebury. There, what's that? Um, One of the suburbs of Palmerston. Wet, 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 isn't it? Unbelievable. Earlier on, we heard from Paddy Weir at Lambie Station. They've had 194 millimetres in 24 hours. Hasn't seen a weather event like that in her 25 years on that cattle station. Unbelievable. Let's get the latest from the Weather Bureau. Moses Rako is there this afternoon. Uh, Moses, just looking at the Alice Springs weather radar, there's, there's still a bit of still a bit of wet stuff around. Yes, there certainly is, Matt. The main trough uh, that's pushed through Alice Springs early this morning, it's now uh, probably very close to Territory Grape, extending out to Jervois and uh, probably across the southern parts of the Tanami district as we speak. Um, that uh, trough or that features there expected to move uh, northwards into the central districts tomorrow with a pretty good ridge uh, to the south over the southern ocean which is really pushing that uh, trough northwards and then probably lying uh, near the base of the top end or just south of it actually um, by Friday so it's going to be moving rather quickly through the northern territory over the coming days and there's expecting um Despite seeing a fair bit of rainfall at the moment, and as you've pointed out, some statistics there, um, that uh, kind of rainfall is probably going to shift into the central districts tomorrow. And behind that, probably starting to see some drier and uh, sunnier conditions returning to from the south and shifting into the central districts um, probably by Friday. Okay, so, so still another 24 hours or so of of more rain potentially would we see similar figures to what we've seen in the last 24 hours though um there is as that uh trough moves northwards we could see today um some potentially good falls near the trough specifically um is where we could see some good falls there as we head into tomorrow um we could see some isolated falls um uh, f- up to 50 millimeters maybe even up to 70 millimeters um, with those slow moving thunderstorms over the central parts um but uh, 
it's uh, basically as we head towards um, the weekend, um, those falls probably, uh, the higher falls probably remaining below 100 millimetres, those isolated falls. Um, so the good falls that we saw um, uh, experience around the Alice Springs area, um, probably it for the time being in Alice Springs itself. Um, but around that trough, we could see the better falls um, over the next day or two as it pushes north. Wow. Got a text here from Val uh, who says it's so pleasing to hear of all the great rain in the Alice region, but she wants to know why her part of the Territory has been missing out on substantial rain. This is between Daly Waters and Elliot. Uh, got any yeah, for us, Moses? Yeah, Daily Waters itself, I just quickly had a look at the stats there, and they they were kind of sitting around about, or just on average, um, for their wet season. Um, so nothing to really brag about in terms of for Daily Waters itself. Um, and look, Elliot, yeah, in between that area there, I mean, it, it could be uh, just a matter of uh, not... Unfortunately, not picking up Just the, the specific, specific showers and storms in that area. Do you have any good um, news for Val? Has the next look, few weeks there, got anything in it? Yeah, look, this trough that's moving north could be a trigger as it pushes through that area uh, over the coming uh, day or two. So there is a chance there that uh, she may pick up um, a shower or storm with some falls there. Um, Mainly be brief though, because we're expecting a fair bit of uh, sunny conditions and clearing conditions behind it. So it could be sunnier conditions there, um, maybe later on f- Saturday in the weekend. Um, but we're seeing that trough kind of slip back south again. So the chances will will uh, continue to be uh, uh, continue in that area. They it might uh, drop back a bit um, once we get that pushing further north into the base of the top end by the weekend. In the top end, there is a severe weather warning in place this afternoon. What can you tell us? Yeah, we have seen some pretty um, squally um, conditions there with those uh, lines of showers and thunderstorms pushed through uh, the top end. Um, We've got a severe weather warning really for the northern parts or northern half of the top end around the north coast there um, with those uh, squally conditions persisting in that area. Seeing those or expecting those winds above the surface to ease um, later this afternoon and evening. Um, So by tomorrow, um, we're probably seeing um, the severe weather warning probably uh, cancelled by then. And as well, the coastal wind warning probably uh, winding that up uh, later this evening as well. By tomorrow, probably just seeing those winds up to around 20 knots or so over the western coastal waters. It's all being driven by that low mat that's over northern parts of WA, and that's expected to shift west, um, further away from the Northern Territory. So those winds are expected to to ease over the next 12 to 24 hours across the top end. Anything else we need to be aware of right now? Uh, Look, right now we do have, as you said, the coastal wind warning in the north, um, western coastal waters. We've got the severe weather warning. We've got the flood watch out associated with that trough in the south. Um, We've also... Depending on what happens uh, with that trough in the south, we might be going with some severe thunderstorm warnings. So just keep a close eye on our website if we do go with any there this afternoon. 
there will be a risk of heavy falls as well as that trough pushes into the central districts tomorrow. So um, be mindful of that. Keep up to date with our, our latest warnings and uh, flood watches um, for the time being. Thanks for your time, mate. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Matt. That's Moses Rako there at the Weather Bureau. Earlier this morning, I got sent the most beautiful aerial photos of the Barclay, care of the Australian Agricultural Company. A person there wrote, two-thirds of the annual rainfall has arrived at Avon and Austral Downs cattle stations in the Barclay in the last eight days. So they've had two-thirds of their annual rainfall in just eight days, and they say plenty of water in the Georgina, Rankin and James Rivers. It's glorious, says the Australian Agricultural Company, and these pictures from the air are just fantastic of the Barclay. You can see them for yourselves if you head along to the ABC Rural Facebook page. Got a message here from Keith in Malak. He says, Matt, last night I was sitting on the veranda at my digs in the Alice. And funny enough, I was thinking of the 88 flood looking like that again, says Keith on 0487991057. And do we know what uh, Charles and Diana did back in, what was it, 83, when the roads were flooded and they couldn't get back to the casino to sleep the night? What did they do? Maybe they went and parked the swags out at Undulia or something. If anyone knows, let us know. 0487 1057. Drive safely through storms. Slow down and put your headlights on. Drive to the conditions or pull over into a safe place with your hazard lights on and wait for the storm to pass. And never, ever cross a flooded road. It's just not worth the risk. For more information, visit abc.net.au slash emergency. Prepare, act and survive with ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Your emergency broadcaster. It's 16 past one. Now, the rehabilitation of the Ranger uranium mine near Jabiru, it could cost an extra $1.2 billion than first expected and take two years longer than initially planned. Energy Resources of Australia, ERA, which is a subsidiary of the mining giant Rio Tinto, it shut down production there at Ranger in January last year and has since been working on returning that mine site to its original state. The rehab was originally estimated to cost $973 million, which is already a lot of money. But in a statement to the ASX today, ERA says the revised costs would be between $1.6 and $2.2 billion. We are joined this afternoon by Justin O'Brien, who is the chief executive of the Ganjami Aboriginal Corporation, which represents the traditional owners of that land where Ranger is located, an extra $1.2 billion to clean things up, Justin. What's your take on that? Matt, we welcome this uh, greater clarity. The uh, The true extent, the true cost of the, the clean-up at Ranger is now becoming very apparent. Um, there weren't that many surprises for us in the announcement today. The, the cost was, um, we knew it would cost more, but a doubling to probably the biggest uh, rehabilitation exercise in the history of Australian mining. It took us by surprise, I've got to say. But for a long time, uh, we have advocated the Australian government and the mining company step up, admit 
that this is going to take a lot longer and be more expensive than they've ever uh, forecast. Now, Rio have come in behind ERA. They put out an announcement today. We welcome their commitment to see full rehabilitation through. So, look, it's uh, it's not good news, mm. but at least we know that, that from this transparency now, uh, we have a much greater picture of, of the true cost. Because this is not short change by any means. What's your understanding on why up to $2.2 billion is needed out there? Well, I mean, uh, this is a significant um, uh, operation. It's a, it's a complex operation and it's in a very, very sensitive uh, you know, World Heritage listed national park upstream of Aboriginal communities and, uh, and the Arafura Sea. It is, um, you know, we're told by in today's announcement that there are, um, you know, the cost of uh, the tailings transfer from you know, the, the, the tailings dam, uh, you know, emerging technical risks, um, un uh, unbudgeted costs, additional costs with supplementary project management, additional water treatment costs, um, and, you know, importantly, um, and a recognition now that the subaqueous option of, you know, deposition of tailings into pit three uh, uh, and, and, and the, you know, the first layering of, of the preload of, of the <clears throat> waste rock is uh, extremely technically complex and extremely expensive. We welcome that. That was an option that we were never comfortable with. So all up, we're getting a more pragmatic approach. It will take longer. Mm. Well, yes, we've said that for a long time. So now, really, the Australian government, we understand, has draft legislation set to be introduced to the federal parliament to amend the Atomic Energy Act to enable uh, access, ERA access beyond the 2026 term. So there's this arbitrary deadline. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. ERA uh, has mentioned that at the moment it's under these constraints of the Atomic Energy Act of 1953. Can't say I'm familiar with that act, but I've been told you are. Uh, can you tell us a bit more? Well, you know, remember, this was all done in the, in the Cold War days. This was uh, the defence powers of the Commonwealth were used to impose mining at range against the wishes of everybody, not just the Mirai traditional owners at the time, but everyone, once they got familiar with the proposal, were against it eventually. Um, so they used the defence powers, as I said, through the Atomic Energy Act uh, to, to, to permit and authorise the mining. It set an arbitrary deadline, in contrary to what you do everywhere else, which is relinquished based on works, acknowledged by the regulator. Here we had a, an arbitrary deadline set originally of two, the year 2000. That was then renewed by uh, under John Howard, by Nick Minchin, the minister, to 2026. And, you know, it's not industry standard. You don't just set this arbitrary deadline. You, you're judged on the, the merit of your works, your progressive rehabilitation. We've said that, you know, for, for a decade or more. Now we're at this point. It is a catastrophic failure in planning by ERA. And we are very, very happy now to see that the majority shareholder has committed to rehabilitation, that ERA has admitted the full cost of this, and we can now you know, work forward over the next few months to see you know, just how um, it's going to roll out, how they're going to fund the true cost of mm -hmm. this exercise. That's the big question, isn't it? Has ERA got the money? Uh, no. ERA uh, at the moment it will need to raise this money. And uh, we, we, we await with everybody else uh, to see how they'll do it. At the end of the day, it's important to remember here that by legislative mechanism and agreement, 
the Australian government ultimately is responsible for everything that happened here. It was a social contract, we like to say, entered into the community back in the 70s and cemented through the 80s by the Australian government. The establishment of Kakadu National Park was a part of the same package that went through, begun by Whitlam, enacted by Fraser in 1977. The Australian government needs to foot the bill if Rio Tinto and ERA won't. Well, let's not have the Australian taxpayer foot this bill. So the recognition today that we have a much more realistic uh, costing of this exercise is a very good start. But, you know, we'll work with people. But remember, the world is now watching an unprecedented exercise, a major, a mega project of rehabilitation in such a sensitive World Heritage listed area. People have got to get this right and they have to be true to their promises, both the uh, industry and government. Realistically, when do you think this work could be done and dusted? Uh, I, I think we need to let the engineers look at this. I think we need a true estimate of feasibility, um, uh, not just cost, but, but scheduling as well to occur. We are told by you know today that this is it'll take within the next six months or so. So let's see that work. Prima facie, based on my experience out here and advice I'm getting, two years is pretty ambitious. Um, and if you're going to amend the legislation in Canberra, you don't do it for two years. You give them lots of, of space to do this. If they relinquish within a period of another 26 years, then fine. But um, you know, as I said, I think you know, prima facie, two years seems ambitious. At one stage today, off the back of this news, shares in ERA jumped 6%. Does that surprise you? Uh, it does. Um, it it's does since surprise. gone. I mean, it's since gone back to similar to what it was before the trading halt. But for a moment there, someone jumped on board. Well, there would have been. A vo- I haven't looked at it. There would have been a lot of vo- the volume would have been interesting to, to look at. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Thanks for your time uh, this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. See you. That is Justin O'Brien. He's the chief executive of the Ganjami Aboriginal Corporation, which represents the traditional owners of the land where the Ranger uranium mine is located. The rehabilitation costs, hey, could go up to $2.2 billion. Yeah, and my name's Nick Ferrica from Road Trains of Australia, and I've just unloaded here at the Berrimer Export Yard. When I'm cruising along, I always tune into the country hour. <laughs> well, a massive thanks to everyone who's texted in on 0487 99 1057. In 1983... When the Alice was in flood and Charles and Diana couldn't make it to the casino, where did they go? They stayed at the new Gapview Hotel in 1983. That's where they went because the Todd River was in flood. How about that, eh? Thank you. (laughs) Now... Making global fertiliser news. And this is coming out of Russia today. The state media over there reporting that the Russian government is set to enforce a two-month ban on exports of ammonium nitrate. So what does this mean for the price of fertiliser, which, as you know, is already extremely high for Aussie farmers? To explain more, here's analyst Andrew Whitelaw from Thomas Elder Markets. Look, we've had a really difficult time, really the last 12 months on 
security of supply around the world. We've had China banning exports. We've had hurricanes destroying facilities in the U.S. that produce fertilizer. We've had high gas prices. Uh, and then in October, we did have Russia enact a, a cap on exports, which wasn't too bad. That, that, was, that, was, that was one of those things. That was, it was a cap, but, but they didn't really export much more than the cap anyway. So it didn't have a huge impact on, on the marketplace. However, these reports of a complete ban of ammonium nitrate exports for the next two months is something that's of, of a bit more concern in that you know, Russia, in terms of the volume that they export onto the market, is substantial. You know, if we look at ammonium nitrate, it's above 60% of global trade in ammonium nitrate comes from Russia, but also large volumes of, of other fertilizers such as urea, ammonia, uh, even MAP and DAP to large volumes actually are, are from Russia. So I guess I guess the big impact is that you know we, we're in a, in a in an environment at the moment where supplies of fertilizer around the world are quite constrained, which has caused these massive prices that we're experiencing at the moment in Australia for for all fertilizers. And so what this does is it is another kick in the guts of of the fertilizer supply chain in that. We've already got a constrained environment, and this is reducing the available supplies. And what we know from from all commodities is that prices are dictated by supply and demand. If you have high supply, prices will be low. Unfortunately, we've got low supply available, and that is a really constraining supplies, and it's, it has the potential to cause a bit of a, a price bump. In terms of the actual direct impact we'll see on prices, how quickly do you think we would start to see that coalescing in the Australian market? Look, at, at the moment, we, we don't import all that much ammonia nitrate. Uh, so, so, but it's really a bit of a flow-on effect. And really, it's a case of does the marketplace just get too concerned? I think if, if, we, if we see any flow-on effect, we're, we're liable to see that in, in the coming sort of, uh, in the coming weeks. But I think, you know, by and large, you know, a lot of the fertilizer which is coming to Australia is already purchased. And, uh, and and we shall see what happens over the coming weeks. But I think the main thing to be concerned about is that it's another, you know, I guess that old sort of Chinese saying, it's death by a thousand cuts, and this is just another another cut and another, you know, bullish factor on fertilizer prices. And this is something that, you know, we've been saying for a long time is that this year is liable to have a number of issues for fertilizer up, in, up into our seeding in, you know, April, Andrew Whitelaw from Thomas Elder Markets talking fertiliser with Luke Radford. It is time now in the country hour to head to the sale yards with all the latest prices out of Dublin, South Australia. Here's John Traeger. Good afternoon. Numbers increased this week as agents offered 200 live weight and 189 open auction cattle along with 40 open auction calves. Quality was fair to good and prices remained generally firm for type and condition across the sale. Grain steers sold from 470 to 522 cents, as grain heifers ranged from 420 to 480 cents. Light cows sold from 180 to 280 cents. Medium weights ranged from 220 to 250, as heavyweights sold from 320 to 340 cents a kilo. Yearling bulls sold from 625 to 630 cents, with heavy bulls of the trade selling from 240 to 280 cents a kilo. This is John Traeger at the South Australian Livestock Exchange for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thank you for that, John. In the live export trade to Indonesia, I saw a quote for feeder steers this morning at 
20 cents a kilo. And I fell off my chair. To all of the people who have texted in with their stories about Charles and Di at the Gap Motor Hotel in 1983, thank you very much. I just love it. I just love it. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. Let's do it again tomorrow. Keep it rural. Rural.